Well, I'm going to take a reading from John chapter 13 and verse 1 following. John chapter 13, verse 1 following. While you're turning to that, let me ask you a question. Have you ever known somebody, you knew them and then something happened to them? They became rich or they became famous or they got promoted or they became very, very successful and they changed when they got this success. Maybe they weren't as interested in spending some time with you. Maybe their character or their nature changed. Maybe the power went to their head. Maybe the money went to their head. Maybe they looked to associate with people that they felt that they were more on a level with than you. People that you knew, people that you thought you knew well. But success came, promotion came, wealth came, fame came, and they changed in their character. I'll be explaining why I asked you that question in the course of this sermon. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean, not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher, I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Now... This is interesting. Most of us will know the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But there's a wider context to the washing of his disciples' feet. You may notice that in the scripture reading that I gave you, in verse 1, it says this, that before the feast of Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved the world, 
that, sorry, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. This is just before he's going to wash their feet. And what's on Jesus' mind? What is he thinking about? What is he meditating on? He's just finished his public preaching. He's finished that now. Now he's going to spend time with his disciples, preparing them. What is he preparing them for? The cross? Yes, in a manner of speaking. The resurrection? Yes, also in a manner of speaking. But most importantly, Jesus is going to be preparing his disciples for his change of ministry that would take place at his ascension when he went up to heaven as our great high priest to be seated at the right hand of the Father and to make intercession evermore. He's preparing them for that. And so here it says, the context, that he's going out of the world to the Father. And then it says in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he'd come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments. So in these two verses, what the Apostle John is doing is setting the scene for the washing of the feet of the disciples. And the scene is this. Jesus is thinking about the fact he's going to ascend on high. Yes, he's going to die on the cross. That's to come. Yes, he'll be raised from the dead and appear to the disciples many times over a period of time. Yes. But really on his mind is the fact he's going back to the Father and that all authority has been given to him so that he's going to be there at the right hand of the Father. That's on his mind. And because he's thinking of this, he gets up after the supper and he washes the disciples' feet. Why is he doing this? He is wanting to show them that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that, remember my question right at the beginning? Great promotion that's about to happen to him. Great authority that he's about to step into. His exaltation and glorification into heaven where the Father is. These things are going to happen to him, but his heart towards them will not change. Success won't change him. Power and authority won't change his heart towards them. In fact, he's going to show them that although he will be exalted in heaven, his heart towards them will be just like this. And then he washes their feet. Now, this understanding of this passage didn't come to me by my own studying. Just so you know, in case you want to follow through on any of this. It came as I was reading a famous minister and preacher called Thomas Goodwin, who lived in the 1600s. And this understanding of this passage came from a piece of work he wrote called The Heart of Christ in Heaven to Sinners on Earth. Before we get into this text a bit more, let me just establish how important Jesus' preparation for his change of ministry was to his disciples. Remember, he was with them ministering for three years, wasn't he? But he has been in his new ministry, if I can put it that way, interceding, praying at the right hand of the Father for us for over 2,000 years. So it was right that he would prepare his disciples to understand the changes that were coming, but also what would remain the same, his loving servant heart to them. His great power and authority and exalted position would not change his thoughts towards them. Now, I haven't got time to go through chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, but let me just give you an even wider context. 
He prepares them here to show them his heart in heaven will be exactly as he's going to wash their feet here on earth. And then in chapter 14, he says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not going for my own good, but for your good. I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to prepare heaven for you, not just for you, but all those that will believe in my name in the coming history, I'm going to prepare a place for each one of them. And I'm not coming back until I've prepared a place for every single believer to come in history. And when the last place is prepared, I will not delay. I'll come right back so that you can be where I am. Can you see his heart? His heart for us. He wants to be with us, so he's gone to prepare a place for us. He then says, look, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit. And he gives a big teaching on this. And the Holy Spirit, he will take from me in heaven. He'll hear what I say in heaven and he'll bring it to you. Almost as if Jesus is saying, look, as soon as I have my thoughts towards you in heaven, the Holy Spirit will carry them to you if you're sensitive to him. He says, I go so that you can do a greater work because I go to the Father. He wanted to multiply his ministry through the Holy Spirit and his body on earth, the church. He wanted greater works to be done by glorifying the Father. And he knew that while he was on earth, as he had limited himself in a physical body, he could only touch so many people in so many ways. But now he's gone to heaven in his intercessory prayer ministry Sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus can be everywhere. He can intervene in every situation all of the time because he's Lord and because he's gone to the Father. And then chapter 17, that great prayer of Jesus, where it's almost like Jesus says, come and you can listen in to my prayer to the Father. Well, that prayer in John 17 is a model of what Jesus and the type of things and subjects that Jesus is praying for right now. You say, what is Jesus praying about in heaven? What sort of prayers are on his mouth for 2,000 years? Well, go to John 17, and that will show you. So that's a wider context to show you how important it is for the disciples and for us to know what Jesus is doing in heaven right now, but also to understand how he feels about us well, we remain in this fallen, broken, difficult world. Well, Jesus comes to the disciples having meditated on it. Isn't it interesting? It says in verse 3, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands. What does he do with his hands? He takes his hands and he washes the dirt off his disciples' feet. I mean, all things, all power, all authority, there is no name that is above the name of Jesus. No authority or power that's above Jesus. No, Jesus does not bow his knee to anybody. He's totally in control of all things. He can even make evil works end up producing work for his father. Nothing is too difficult for him. He has got everything in his hand. In fact, in his hands, he's got the whole world, as we're as we saying. He has the whole world, every bit of it, every day. He has the whole world. He's got your world in his hands. He's got my world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. That's what that verse says when it says the Father has given him all things. So what does he do as he's thinking about the great power? I mean, do you remember or have you ever experienced a promotion at work? <laughs> 
Have you ever passed an exam or received a qualification and now you're qualified to do something you couldn't do before? You're a qualified electrician. When you were qualified, you could now go into homes and, and, and fix things. You're qualified as a doctor, nurse, whatever it might be. You've passed the test and now you have a qualification. Maybe you can put it at the end of your name or even at the beginning of, of your name. You're qualified. And you're about to take up your position of qualification. Or you've been notified that you've been promoted to a new level of management. And you're preparing yourself for this promotion, this new level, this qualification. You're thinking about, about perhaps the increase in salary. You're thinking about perhaps the career that you can carve. You're thinking about the new department that you're going to look after. You're thinking about using your qualification for actually making an impact. You're thinking about these things. Jesus was thinking about these things as he was about to uh, qualify through his death and resurrection to be at the right hand of the father. But he wasn't thinking about his new salary, about who he'd be able to tell what to do. He had all these things in his hands and all this power and authority, all this greatness he was about to step back into. But what does he do with his hands? He takes the role of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest in the pecking order of slaves in a household. You are, you are at the bottom of the ladder if you were the slave that got the job to wash the feet of the guests. Because if they wore open-toed uh, open sandals or no sandals at all, their feet were in contact with all manner of muck and mire on the road. Uh, they, they were walking in cow dung and horse dung and, and mess and human dung because there wasn't proper toilet facilities. And, and those feet were caked in the dirt. It was a horrible job to do. That's why the disciples reacted so strongly uh, about, about doing it. But Jesus, he was thinking about the fact he's going, he has the whole world in his hand, all power and authority being given to me. That's his thoughts. And instead of going around and ordering people around and calling a few legions of angels to wait upon him, instead of doing these things, he did the lowest thing a human could do in a household, and he washed the dirt off his disciples' feet. They weren't happy. And, and we see Peter's response. Peter, to Peter... The one in charge did not wash the dirty feet, but the one in charge had his feet washed first. He was saying, Lord, I can't, you can't wash my feet. Why? Because you're superior than me. You're in authority over me. I mean, Peter had no idea the kind of power that Jesus was going to wield and is wielding from heaven right now. There he is right now. Jesus is listening to your thoughts, my preaching. Surrounded by mighty, mighty angels and elders praising. We sung the song earlier, praising and worshipping. He's, he's in the presence of the Father. There is no sin, no Satan, no destruction, no opposition where Jesus is. He is at the throne and center of the universe. Peter didn't know that was coming, but he just experienced Jesus' authority over forgiving sins healing the sick, casting out demons. He'd seen that and he realized that Jesus was Lord. But he thought, no, I can't, can't allow this to happen. This isn't what, the way it works. When you're promoted, when you're given authority, you stop doing menial things. Other people do that to you. That's the way of kings and lords. We know Jesus said that the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and become a ransom for many. And so Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. I remember once when I was on mission with Brazil with our senior minister, Colin Dye, many, many 
years ago in the uh, mid-90s. He's been back many times since then. And we took a missions team of about 15 to 20 people. And we were praying nightly in the services, preaching the gospels and praying for the sick and seeing the kingdom of God come in remarkable ways. And we had a day off and the team was in a farm around a small lake. And we were really just sort of all sitting together in a circle, thanking God, praising God, relaxing with one another. And on the team, her first mission uh, had come a larger-than-life actress. And she was a very lovable person, a bit eccentric, and she wore her heart on her sleeve. Well, while we were there, she came up to Colin. I was sitting next to him. He said, Colin, I believe that the Lord has spoken to me. And we thought, okay, this could mean anything. And she said, and she pulled out a big bottle of Chanel Number no. 5, and she said, I believe God wants me to wash all the team's feet. Well, we thought, oh, okay, what are we going to do to this? Well, whether God told her or not is beside the point. And Colin, in his pastoral way, said to her, well, if that's what you feel that you want to do, then go ahead and do it. Because, you know, her heart was right. She was just so excited to be on the mission, so excited to see people coming to the Lord, so excited to see miracles and healing. She just wanted to do something. So we all sat in a circle, and uh, she began to wash people's feet with uh, the Chanel number no. 5. As she was going around the circle, I was getting more and more nervous. <laughs> and being very English at heart, more and more embarrassed about what was about to happen. And then as she was doing the person next to me, I began to think to myself, you know, I don't know if I wash my feet or cut my nails properly. <laughs> I'm, you know, and I'm thinking all these things. And then she comes and it's my turn. And I can smell a Chanel number no. five as she begins to pour these. And I felt myself going warm with embarrassment, flushing red, because I, I wasn't really culturally prepared for, I don't think anybody would be, to be honest, Chanel five on your, on, on, on your feet. And she washed the feet. And it was a very, and I mean this in a positive way, it was a very humiliating but in a good way. It was humbling. It was, you know, that, she, that somebody would want to perfume my feet. And he says, no, we do not do this in England. And so it, it, was, it was a very pow powerful event. To this day, I mean, sometimes when I go into uh, uh, a big supermarket, maybe my wife is off looking in this section, there's not many people around. We'll go over to the perfume counter. <laughs> and I'll take some of that Chanel number no. five, because I tell you, I can smell it a, a mile off from that point and just smell, and as soon as I smell, you know how powerful fragrance is, it takes me right back to that time, and then the assistant says, is that for your wife, sir? And um, I say, well, possibly, but <laughs> I don't think I'll share the story with you. Now, that's just an illustration. Now, if, that, if that's a larger-than-life actress who wears a heart on her sleeve and just, just wants to express her love by pouring Chanel Number no. 5 on people's feet, what must it be like if you and I were sitting in that room and Jesus, Jesus, who's about to go to glory, takes off his shirt, puts a towel, gets a bowl, and then comes to wash the dirt and the stink that is attached to our feet. How would you feel as he bowed before you? You're seated, Jesus, and he's washing your feet and the dirt has got between your toes. He's not just doing it symbolically, but he's getting it. He's getting under the, the fingernails, you know. He, he, he's, he's, he's filing your nails. Oh, maybe that's going a bit too far. But, you, you know, he, your feet, 
This is the person who's just been thinking about going to the heart of heaven to take up his place as king of the universe. Jesus did this, and then he said to them later, this is my example for you. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, the more authority you're given, the more power that you wield in the kingdom of God, but also in any walk of life, the more you're given, the more you are to use that to serve the good of others. This is the Christian way. This is the Christian way. He says, don't be like the Gentiles who rule it over one another. The more a Gentile gets power, authority, wealth, the more they change and the more they expect to be served. But Jesus showed that as he was receiving all power and authority, when he would be ascended, that he would have the same heart that he was demonstrating right now. Whatever situation you find yourself, whether you're riding a crest of a Holy Ghost wave or whether you find yourself struggling in a pit of mud of your own sin and failure, when you turn your attention to the Lord for help who's in heaven, he, his attitude towards you is the same as it is here. He will gladly condescend to wash your feet with all authority and power that's in heaven. This is his heart always to us. Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 to have a picture of what is of his ministry in heaven. And if you want to know Jesus' ministry in heaven, not only can you read John 14 to 17, but Hebrews is a wonderful uh, epistle to go to to find out how Jesus is, operates as a high priest. The most important thing about a priest is that he is an intercessor or a mediator who goes to God on behalf of man and mediates forgiveness, cleansing, and, 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 and allows fellowship to continue. Well, we see in Hebrews chapter 4, I'm starting in verse 13 for a, a reason that I'll explain. We can read together. Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Here he is. He's a great high priest. Not only that, in the verse before, verse 19, we see that Jesus sees it all. You know, he sees it all. Nothing is hidden to the sight of Jesus. As he sits at the right hand of the Father, all power and authority, he's got the whole world in his hand, and he sees exactly what goes on all the time in the world, not just in deed, but in the thought and intentions of the heart. We can't hide from the Lord. He sees it all. We can't hide from the Lord. We try and hide from others. We try and hide from ourselves. I mean, how many of you would like, upon this wonderful screen we have behind me, the thoughts, intentions, words, and acts of the last seven days of your life. Not just the things you did, but the things that you thought, 
the things that you reacted in, everything the last week, let alone the last two weeks or two months or two years. Would you like us all to, to be able to see what's going on in your life? No, I didn't think so. I'll take that as a no. I certainly wouldn't want that to happen as well. But Jesus sees it all, all powerful, whole world in his hands, seated at the right hand of the Father. He sees it. He hears it, not just externally, but on the inside. That's what it says. And we're accountable for what we say and what we do. Well, that verse alone might drive you to despair, discouragement, or massive pangs of guilt. But that comes just before verse 14, where we see this great high priest. And yet it also says, he's passed through the heavens. It also says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Weaknesses, what does that mean? Well, I looked into the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, to find out what this word meant. What did it really mean, weaknesses? Because it looked a bit general to me. But it can mean a number of things. It can mean physical weaknesses. In other words, frailty, sickness, illness, physically weak, trying, unable really to do the things that we'd like to do. That's what weaknesses can mean. It can also mean not being capable or potent or able to do the things that we want to do. So much we'd like to do, so much we'd like to be, but we don't feel we have the capacity or the power or the ability to do these things that we want to do. It's a weakness. That's what the word also means. This word weaknesses, Jesus sympathizing with our weaknesses, can also mean economic and material poverty. We don't have the resources to do what we need to do. Jesus sees our poverty. We're in debt. He sees us. We are materially weak, resourceful weak. That's what this word can mean. And finally, and most importantly, I believe, this word weaknesses can refer to moral weaknesses, sinful tendencies, habits, and things that are holding us back. So weaknesses can be physical. Weaknesses can be inability to do what we want to do. Weaknesses can be economic or material. Weaknesses can be moral weaknesses or sins that we are struggling with. So it says here that he is not unable to sympathize with these weaknesses. This is very important. And this word sympathy basically means sharing the same feelings of the person that you have sympathy for. Have you ever felt deep sympathy for somebody? In other words, you genuinely find yourself putting yourself in their shoes. There's a great song by Elvis Presley, one of my favorite singers, where he speaks about, before you judge me, walk a mile in my shoes. In other words, feel what I feel, understand where I've come from, and have some sympathy before you judge me. Well, Jesus has walked more than a mile in your shoes and my shoes. He's walked every mile on the journey of life that we've ever walked. He knows where we come from. He knows our struggles. And he feels our feelings as deeply and perhaps more deeply than we feel ourselves. He knows what it's like to suffer on earth because he suffered on earth. He knows what it's like, the pressures of a fallen world. He was in fallen world. He knows all the pressures, all the tests, all the temptations, except he never crack, cracked under temptation. 
He knows the pressure. Look at him in the Garden of Eden. Sorry, in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at the pressure he is under to do the Father's will. So much pressure, it affects him physically and he bleeds blood. He knows what it feels like to be under pressure. And he's sympathetic. Listen to this, isn't this amazing? The one who's got the whole world in his hand, the one who has all power and authority, is also the one that feels deeply your struggles. And also the one that has the attitude of washing your feet. This is so important that we understand Jesus' heart towards us. Otherwise, we can tend to think that perhaps when Jesus succeeded and was promoted, he changed in his attitude to those that were around him. Like so many people in the world, when they're promoted and they're made rich, they're famous, they're successful, they change as people. Have you ever thought, oh, I'd love to be around Jesus when he did his three years ministry? Not just to see the great powerful miracles, but just to be with him around the campfire. To be with him when he said, disciples, come away and have a rest. You've been doing too much. Oh, I'd love to have been around Jesus just for the intimate bits as well as the power ministry. But now somehow he's up in heaven and no longer in this struggling fallen world that has been broken by, by human sin. He's up there. It must be all right for him with all those angels and, and all that power. And, and how can I relate to him? Well, you can relate to him because he said, I have not changed in my burden and love for you. In fact, the reason I'm in heaven is so that I can minister to all of you, millions and millions of my father's children, as if I was physically with each one of you. That means when you struggle, don't run from Jesus, run to Jesus. The verse says we may boldly approach the throne of mercy and grace for yes boldly don't think he's there when you're struggling with these in these weaknesses and the weaknesses of sin and thinking you're letting the lord down and yes he can see everything and yes we are accountable but he's not come to slap you down he's not come to judge you he's not he's not come to look down from a lofty seat where he is all powerful and crush you because you're failing him on the contrary, he's there so he can wash your feet, so that he can get behind you and serve you from heaven in the same way he served them at that meal. He said, all things have been given into my hands. As he reflected, I'm going back to the Father. And then he washed their feet. I hope this helps you understand Jesus loves you. <laughs> you know, you get people with badges, and I like it. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, but many people don't realize what it means to be Jesus. Or we say, well, I know the Lord loves me. Do you? Do you really know how much he loves you? Do you really know his heart towards you today? Or you don't know the mess I'm in. You don't know all the things that I should be doing that I'm not doing, all the things I should be saying that I'm not saying, and all the things I shouldn't be doing that I'm doing, and all the bad things I'm not to say that I am saying, the sins of Commission and admission. You know all of these things. No, I don't, because your life is not open and naked before my eyes, but it is before Jesus. 
And guess what? He died for your past sins. He died for your present sins. He died for your future sins. He died that he could wash you. He died that he could cleanse you. He died that he could pick you out of the mud and put you back on his feet. He's standing in your shoes. He knows it's hard for you. He loves you. He went away to prepare a place for you. He's coming back when the last one of our rooms is prepared. He won't delay. He'll return to get us. His heart towards you is like a bridegroom that's missing his bride. A bridegroom that says, we're going to get married, married very soon in a few weeks' time. But bride, I'll be back for that marriage. i just got to prepare so that the marriage is right. I've got to make sure all the guests are there. And he goes away. But can you imagine the bridegroom's heart? Can't wait to be with your bride. Can't wait to be with her. You're obsessed by your bride. You can't wait to... So Jesus, let me tell you something... He, he is obsessed, if I can use that word, but the, the power of that word is true. He is obsessed by us. He, he came for us. He died for us. He rose for us. He went to heaven for us. He's coming back for us to take us with him so that we can have a banquet and be with him always. How he loves you. Loves you. It's not changed. Not changed. So let's go back finally to the story again. So Peter says, you're not washing me. He doesn't understand. He thinks that, that, that Jesus, with his authority and power, does not have the heart of a servant. But then Jesus says, if you don't let me wash you, then how can I help you? If you don't let Jesus serve you, touch you, then how can he help you? It, it is possible, and I think it's a good place to be, to be humbled by Jesus' love for us. That's where the power of service comes from. Not, you must preach the gospel or God will be angry with you. You must love one another. What's the matter with you? You must do this. You must do that. That sounds to me like the Old Testament law. No, where real change comes is, I can't believe that you'd wash my feet. I can't believe that you still accept me. I can't believe that you still love me. I can't believe that even though I've failed again, you're there washing my feet, picking up the pieces, serving me like the lowliest servant. Makes you feel like you don't want to get your feet as dirty as normal. Makes you feel like you don't want to wallow in the mud like you used to. You see, Jesus wants to set us free, not just so that we can enjoy him during our brief pilgrimage on earth. Little children of God, understand this. This is not your home, this earth. This is not your home. There's something inside of a child of God that knows that where they are, it doesn't sit right that we're here. It doesn't sit right that we're here. And the closer you get to the Lord, the more uncomfortable it is being here in this fallen world because your home is being prepared for you. Now, when we get muddy feet because we're going to get muddy feet. Now, he said to Peter, look, you don't need to be totally washed. Why? Because he had been washed already by the word. Peter had put his faith in Jesus. When you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again and is where I'm preaching he is today, then what happens is an almighty washing comes from heaven and sin is washed from your heart. You are given a new heart without sin. You are born again, a new creation. You see, before you came to Jesus, not only if we can use dirt as a, as a symbol of sin, which is here, not only were you dirty 
in your actions, dirty in your thoughts. Not only were you sinning, but you were dirty by nature, my friend. So was I. You were sinful. You were sinning, yet also you were by nature sin. You had become identified with the very sin that you were carrying out. But when you believed in Jesus and trusted him for your salvation, it was like his blood washed the inner being of who you were and you became born again. No longer are you dirt and sin by nature. You are now the very righteousness of God, a gift of cleansing. And you stand before God, not by your own deeds, but by Jesus' deeds, what he did for you. If someone should ask you, why will you go to heaven? What have you done to get there? You could say, I have done nothing to get into heaven. Jesus did it all for me. I just received it as a gift and made anew. So a Christian is not a sinner by nature. But we know that we're still walking in a sinful world. And our feet get dirty in the road of life. And sometimes we get so sucked into the mud on the path of this world. Have you, ever, have you ever gone through a very muddy place or a bog and you get stuck in the bog and you're trying to get through this, but it's so hard. You lose a Wellington because it gets sucked in and, and it's sucking you in. It's preventing you from being free to walk as God wants you to walk. It's hindering you. It's holding you back. And Jesus comes along and he says, I, don't need, I need more than a bowl of water for your feet, my friend. And he takes out a power shower of the Holy Spirit. I have at home a power shower. It's one of my favorite things at home. Whenever I go to a hotel or a weekend and I'm there and I turn on the shower and it drips. And I think, I'm not even going to get wet with this. It just drips. And then I go home and I turn on the power shower. It's like got turbo boost in it. And I go under it. I wonder, I wonder I'm not washed away. And Jesus comes and he power showers that thing so that your feet are brand new and clean and so that you can walk with a, a confidence in this world of sin, knowing that if they get dirty again, he'll be there again to wash you because he is a loving doctor. Look, he's a doctor. He's a great physician. When you come in with a sickness, the doctor wants to, he knows the difference between you and the sickness that ails you. He doesn't say to you, oh, you got sick. Well, there's one way of dealing with this sickness. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> well, it'll deal with the sickness, yeah, but it will kill me. No. Loves the patient, but hates and wants to drive out the sickness. This is Jesus' heart to you, always loving you as his patient, realizing the difficulties, the troubles, the tribulations, the failings, the inadequacies, understanding how you feel. And then coming in and serving and washing you so you can get back up to do the work of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God has a purpose for you. God has not put you here by accident. Great time of evangelism coming up. Great goals of multiplying, maturing, and mobilizing for the great harvest field that is London and the world for Christ. But at the heart of this, there must be an understanding of Jesus' 100% commitment to serve us, to look after us, his compassion for us, that we can run into his arms 
at any moment, whether, we are, whether our feet are dirty or clean. Lord, we come to you and we ask you for forgiveness if we have misunderstood your great heart in heaven for us on earth. May it be from this moment forward that every single one of us, when we think of you in heaven, praying for us right now, that when we think of you in heaven, we'll also have the picture of you washing your disciples' feet on earth. When we're in difficulties, disappointed, discouraged, feeling that we've failed, knowing you see all things, we don't hide from you, we run to you. Lord, as you wash our feet and serve us from heaven, we thank God that you serve us with the authority and power that is in you as the resurrected son of the living God. Nothing is too, too impossible for you, and we are on your heart all the time. You know our weaknesses. You walk in our shoes. Lord Jesus, help us to become great friends with you. Never to forget that you're such a great high priest and that all the earth is in your hand and how powerful you are, but also never to forget how close you are, how kind you are. Finally, as we pray, maybe there's someone in this place today or watching on the internet or in an overflow, and you would say, I don't even know if I've been washed once. I don't know if I've ever had the full cleansing that Peter didn't need again. I want to be fully washed, fully cleansed, so that I can walk through this world and have him cleanse my feet while I'm on pilgrimage with him. Well, all you have to do is believe and receive. Because if you're willing to tell me today that you simply believe in your heart, you'd confess with your mouth that Jesus died for your sins, rose again, is Lord, and is where I preached him to be today, right now, listening to your heart, the right hand of the Father, with all power in his hands, and that he cares for you as a servant who washes your feet. If you say, I believe that today, then you will be washed and cleansed eternally from this moment onwards. 